Gaylord is a, a very dear friend, um, longtime pastor from Chico, California, leads a pastor's network in that area. Um, and God has given Gaylord a life message that I believe really um, connects with what we were sharing last night, this idea of uh, Jesus getting what he prays for and what he paid for in John 17. And Gaylord's message um, is related to um, Jesus' new commandment, that we would love one another as the Father has loved us. And um, obviously, when we talk about unity, we're really talking about love in a large part, right? And um, so anyway, um, I've heard Gaylord share and preach many times, and um, I find every single time I do, it's like it refreshes something in my heart. And uh, so if this is your first time, um, you're in for a huge treat, but if you've heard Gaylord speak you know, multiple times before, I think this is going to be something that, that just refreshes us, and uh, I know it certainly does for me. So let's just uh, welcome Gaylord. Wow. I just feel a kind of a special need for God's grace this morning. Can we just just lift it up? Would you extend a hand to me and just, just pray? Just say, Father, in the name of Jesus, grant us, Father, grant us just the amazing grace and the uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Lord, for this moment. These, uh, these moments here together, Lord, we thank you for your uh, love for us, for pouring out that grace on us even today in just a special way in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Father, for hearing. Thank you for answering. I just want for a moment to to pick up where we were last night when Father Phil took us to uh, share in Holy Communion. And in doing so, we obviously were following what our Lord Jesus gave us on that night before he was went to the cross when he uh, had his disciples gathered and they had that last supper together he'd washed their feet and and uh, had given him just this uh, amazing what i call the going forward message john 13 14 15 16 mm-hmm. and then of course the prayer that we refer to often prayed in chapter 17 and uh you remember, you know, the Passover had been celebrated, I would say, maybe 1,300 years. But that night when Jesus took the bread, he said words that were different. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And when he took the cup, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And we as believers, uh, as uh, followers of Jesus, have celebrated that uh, literally around the world. And we celebrate it in a little different ways, but we celebrate it over and over again. The interesting thing that stunned me uh, in my own personal journey, it's been about 16 years ago and it happened in a moment, um, is I saw Jesus' commandment as I had never seen it before. I'd read it many times, but now that morning I saw it as, in fact, his commandment. And I I was actually looking for what I thought were going to be 10... 20, 40, maybe more commandments that Jesus gave us. And um, I came across this passage 
that is found in the context of that going forward message. John 13, 34. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And I was stunned because that morning I was looking for Jesus' commandments, but suddenly I'm confronted and I remember saying, well, there's one right there. And uh, it was, it was um, shocking in a couple of ways because, first of all, I realized I had missed it. Now, it wasn't that I hadn't read it. It wasn't that I hadn't done sermons about it. I just had missed it. I didn't see it as a commandment. I saw it as one more thing out of many that Jesus said. One more thing out of many that Jesus taught us. But what I hadn't really seen is that the same night Jesus instituted a new covenant, he gave us a new commandment. Can you say those together with me? New covenant, new commandment. New covenant, new commandment. Those two are linked strategically and I believe should have been linked throughout Christian history. Now, that morning, May 1st, 2002, when I saw that commandment, I literally thought, I'm the only one that's missed this. Everybody knows this but me. And it was so obvious and it was a little embarrassing because I had been in full-time Christian ministry for 30 uh, years and I, I loved reading the Bible and teaching and, and all of that. And it was just a bit embarrassing, but I thought, you know, I've got a lot of catching up to do uh, because this is so obvious my friends didn't think to ask me. Say, you incidentally, Gaylord, you do know what Jesus' commandment is. And... Um, and and I, I, in that moment, it just literally connected all through the New Testament writings because I'd done a series at one point, the longest uh, series I ever did as a pastor. It was a year-long series on love out of the New Testament. It just wouldn't stop. It was one of those. But now I'm seeing what I think is the fountain out of which all of that came. It was his commandment, love one another. And so I'm, uh, I connected this, the New Testament. It's just like it snapped into place for me all of a sudden. It's like, oh my goodness, I get it. But I thought, I'll bet the early church fathers, those leaders of the church from about the year 125 to 325, I'll bet they say a ton of things about this commandment and how this worked out, how this was lived out for the life of Christians. And um, I... I had, you know, we have about 10,000 pages of their writings, and there's 50 of them that wrote during that time. And I, I had, while I was recovering from a burnout breakdown, which is the, the context in which I saw this uh, in my recovery, I, um, I had picked up a book that David Burkott had put together. He had gone through those 10,000 pages of their writings, and he had, he, had, he had categorized everything they wrote under one of 700 topics. And I, I had um, come across it in Barnes Noble. I saw this big 30% off sticker on the back of this big book in the religious section. I pulled it out, looked at it, bought it, and put it on a shelf. I hadn't used it at all because I wasn't reading. I couldn't even read. I, I'd only been able to read a verse, a verse or so out of the Bible uh, each day. And now I'm, I said, now I know why I got that book. 
And I went and I pulled it out of a stack in my unused office and opened it up looking for Jesus' commandment. One of those 700 topics for sure would have to be Jesus' commandment. I looked at a Jesus' commandment and I could find nothing that related to it. Um, Christ's commandment, nothing. Law of Christ, nothing. Uh, love, nothing. Charity, nothing. Literally, out of seven over 700 topics that categorized everything these early church fathers had said, there was not one reference to this commandment I just mentioned to you. And before I got up from the table that day, I knew two things. Number one, my life would never be the same. And the second thing was this. I had to find an answer to the question, whatever happened to Jesus' commandment? Where did that go? The truth is, sadly, very early in Christian history, this commandment slipped off the table. It was obscured by all the responsibilities that those early church fathers had of stewarding an, a growing movement, trying to determine what was right, what was wrong, what was heretical, what was okay. And you know, it is, it is, it is significant that something so central as the one commandment Jesus owned as my commandment would get buried in a thousand other good things and lost to our consciousness. I found no reference to it in any of the early creeds. It's not mentioned in the historic uh, confessions of the faith. It was not fully recovered by any means in the Reformation of the 1500s. It is still absent from the statements of faith and practice of 90% of our Western churches. And in some of the denominations where I have found it, the pastors are stunned when, they, when I tell them it is in your writings, your official writings. It is in your doctrinal statement. They don't recognize it. I absolutely believe that in this coming move of God, I believe we're on the edge of another powerful awakening. We must recover the command that Jesus gave us as a church. We must embrace that commandment again, and new covenant and new commandment must be linked for every disciple of Jesus Christ. It is our mark of authenticity. And it matters that we embrace it. Now, I just, I, I just want to um, go back and just look for a moment at the prophetic word in Scripture from Jeremiah the prophet, from Ezekiel the prophet, just the word that began to prepare the hearts of Judah and Israel for this specific coming of the Messiah and of this new covenant and with it that commandment. Jeremiah 31, 31 is familiar to us. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Say that with me. New covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Now, it's interesting. This is very, just blatantly 
Um, the Lord has been saying through the prophets, a new thing is coming. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. But we didn't know what that new thing was. I mean, it's like, you know, me saying to one of my friends, excuse me, would you get me that thing in the back of the room back there? you go like, yeah, sure. What thing? So when Isaiah says, behold, I'm doing a new thing, the question is, what thing? What are you doing? And now we see what it is. Um, we see that it's 100 years later. God speaks and he says, it's a, a new covenant. It's coming. Uh, and he says, the first thing he wants us to know, number, number one, is going to be in the future. The time is coming. Number two, it's going to be with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Number three, his next thing in verse 32, it will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. It is going to be different. He immediately prepares us by saying, get ready for change. This is going to be different than what you've known. Now, covenant and commandment go hand in hand. What if Moses... When he went up in the mountain on Sinai, the, the previous, the covenant that they were living under when Jeremiah writes this, what if Moses had come down from the mountain and he had said to Israel, guess what? God has just made a covenant with us right here in Sinai. People would look at him and go, yes. What? What are the terms of the covenant? Well, he said, actually, I'll tell you what, God actually wrote them with his own finger in stone. I tried to carry them. They were heavy, honestly. I left them up there, guys. I, so, anyway, but you do have a new covenant. How many of you know it would have dramatically changed the history of Israel? What about for the church? What if when God gives a new covenant through his son, the creator, Messiah, the, the creator of the heavens and the earth. What if when God makes a new covenant, we separate the commandment he gave with it from that covenant? See, I believe historically when the, when the apostle Paul wrote about us celebrating the Lord's table of coming together, breaking the bread, taking the cup. He says, we ought to examine ourselves in those moments. What are we to examine ourselves in light of? I believe it's really clear. It's the new covenant. It's the new commandment that came with the new covenant. How am I doing at receiving the love of heaven and loving my brothers and sisters? How am I doing at that? Am I failing in some way to receive the love of heaven so I can truly love my brothers and sisters? Is there any unloving act that I need to take responsibility for and make right with my brothers and sisters? Because I don't want to in any way violate the terms of the covenant. Love one another. A new command. Oh, Jesus goes on that night. It was John 13, 34 that we see that recorded. But he goes on in John 15, 12. And he says, this is my commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. Honestly, when I read that, and, and that day, 
May 1st, 2002, I started what was a seven-month wrestling match with God. It got more intense as time went on because I could not... Well, I'll just tell you plainly what the problem was. I already knew what Jesus' commandment was. I had taught it for decades to my congregation. And that was love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbors yourself. I knew what his commandment was, but all of a sudden I'm confronted with him saying, this is my commandment. And I went, how could you do that? How could you not make this your commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and then love one another as I have loved you. I, I just couldn't. It was a wrestling match that got stronger and stronger and stronger over time. I, I couldn't even verbalize it. It, it was so, so uh, difficult. It was about eight months into that process that I woke up one morning, either was awakened with a voice of God speaking to me, or heard it right after I woke. I don't know which it was, actually. But I woke up with an incredible sense of the nearness of God. And I heard the words, you can ask a question. <laughs> I just immediately, I, I mean, there was no point. Have you ever been playing in a swimming pool and you're, you're playing around with people and you have one of those big balls, you know, that you fill up with air, they're light, you can bat them around and they're, you know, they're real fun and floaty. And you're, all of a sudden you're trying to pretend to everybody that, that the ball has gotten lost. Somebody's batted it out of the pool and you don't, but you're sitting on it. It's under the water. You go like, where'd the ball go? Anybody know? You know, it's kind of like, uh, it's, it's one of those things where you know how tricky that is because the slightest little, little, you get to the edge of it and the ball just comes popping up out of the, out of the water, you know, oh, there it is. And that's what I felt that morning. It's like I'd been burying this question. I couldn't, I, I was wrestling with it so deeply. And when I heard those words, you can ask a question, it was just like, unbusted. <laughs> You know what the question is, obviously. And that's why you're saying, so there's no point. There's no point in me asking that you know what it is. And for what I would estimate, I don't think I moved a muscle for maybe, I would estimate maybe 15 minutes. And it was just, the Lord just began to download to me just a series of scriptures just began to pour into my heart, scripture after scripture, uh, about the significance of him coming to live inside of us. You are the temple of the living God. I will come and make my home in you. Uh, his strong identity with those in whom he now dwells, where we see him saying, whatever you did to the least of these, my brethren, you did to me. I was hungry, thirsty. I was without clothes. I was in prison. I was sick. You came to visit me. And remember what he says? The righteous would say in that day, sorry, I don't remember ever doing that to you, Jesus. It seems like I would remember something so significant, but I can't remember doing it. I'm sorry. When? 
Oh, when you did it to one of the least of these, brothers of mine, you did it to me. How we treat one another is how we treat him. This is the first theological lesson that Saul, whose name was changed to Paul, learned on the road to Damascus. When that light hit him, you remember he's flattened out, laying on the road. And he says, blinded now, he says, Who are you, Lord? Obviously, he is described, he's defined lordship to the one that has flattened him out on the road. Okay. Okay, all he needed to know is who it was. Now, he hated the followers of Jesus. Of course, he's going up. He's literally gotten more permission to, to arrest and even potentially kill more of them. But now, he's on the, but now he's laying on the road saying, Who are you, Lord? Can you imagine how stunning it would be for him? As that kind of a man, Saul, laying on the road and hearing the words come back, I am Jesus. Do you realize that something happened right in that moment to Saul? He had just confessed that Jesus was Lord. <laughs> okay. So you are Lord. So you are the Lord. All right. I get it. The next, that was the first, that's the first thing. Jesus is Lord. Say it with me. Jesus is Lord. Awesome. The next lesson in theology that he learned was the last part of the sentence whom you are persecuting now what does that mean well it means it, you know Saul had never laid a hand on Jesus but he had definitely injured many of those that were followers of Jesus so the second thing that he learned that day was whatever you do to one of the followers of Jesus you did to him he has such strong identity in his children. And that's really was a part of the answer. There was a third part, I, I think, that day. I remembered, um, brought back to memory, something that had happened a couple months earlier. I had gotten up uh, one morning during my recovery process from this burnout breakdown. I'd gotten up and... Um, I was making Patty breakfast, and she was still had on her night robe. I remember her sitting behind me. She was still kind of waking up. She was a little bit leaning over the table, uh, still maybe not even fully awake. But I was uh, my back was to her, and I was at our kitchen uh, range in her little kitchen, and I was scrambling a couple of eggs. I cracked them and was opening. I was getting ready to put some cottage cheese in so I could mix it together. That's how we do our scrambled eggs. And I was just getting ready to do that. And I heard the Lord speak very clearly. I heard the words, I should say, very clearly. Jesus came to your house for breakfast today. And I knew instantly, tears filled my eyes, and I knew instantly what God was saying. The only other person in the room was my wife, <coughs> sitting behind me, maybe not even fully awake yet. But the Lord was saying to me, if you've ever wanted to make breakfast for me, you're going to do it today. Because I live in that woman that you're married to. And when the tears uh, cleared from my eyes, I finished scrambling the eggs and did the toast. And took them to Patty and said, here, babe, here's breakfast. 
Can I get you anything else? <laughs> Water, juice, anything? <laughs> I didn't tell her for months what had happened to me. But it began to transform my life. When I began to realize, realize the significance of that moment. And as I'm laying there in those 15 minutes, you can ask a question. That was the third thing the Lord reminded me of. Remember the day that you heard those words, Jesus came to your house for breakfast today. When we love one another as believers, God is not unloved in that picture. How many of you see that? Because when we hug one another, he feels the squeeze because he lives on the inside of us. When we treat each other dishonorably, when we fail to love one another, we have failed to love him. So very clearly, our love for our obedience to the command that Jesus gave to us definitely has us loving God and loving one another and particularly loving him in the place he now dwells by the Holy Spirit in the people that are in our oikos, our family, the people that we get to interact with, those people that are closest to us. I just want to close with, um, you know, the, the interesting thing, one of, one of the changes that happens, kind of a difference that I see in kind of how the old covenant was administered and the new covenant was ministered, is there was, the old covenant had a lot of you shall, you shall, you shall. But when God begins to speak about the new covenant, even through Jeremiah, God says, I will, I will, I will, I will. And there's a shift. And it's, it was because this revelation of grace and what God was going to do through the release of his love in his son. And that shift is very significant for us. And I think the key thing for us is to learn to receive what heaven is pouring out as new covenant believers. In, in, the, in the answer to the question that uh, Jesus was asked, by an expert in the law, uh, one of three trick questions. Uh, he was asked the question, what is the, this expert in the law said, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus answered the question. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second one is like it, homoios in the Greek, which means we get the word homogenize. It means inseparable from it. It's like homogenized milk. I grew up in a dairy, and you know, all, all the milk always so the cream comes to the top. But once it's homogenized, it's inseparable. The second commandment is homoyous. It's homogenized. It's inseparable from the first. You shall love your neighbors yourself. Leviticus 19:18 and Deuteronomy chapter 6. So he combines those two. The interesting thing about that is that this, this commandment put, as was typical in the law, and our response to it was this, all that the Lord has said we will do, we take responsibility for it. 
the what happens there is is um, is you, in fact, I'm going to ask you to do a little exercise. Just take a fist, just put it right here, just on your chest, and we're going to say that together. And every time we say the word you, your, or yourself, I'm going to ask you just to tap yourself on the chest. We're going to start with you shall love the Lord. So you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, without your soul, with all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Who's in the middle of that picture? It's me. It's us. The interesting thing is it's us loving God with everything in us, and it's us loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. The interesting thing about the shift that comes when the Father reveals himself through his Son and reveals his love more clearly than we've ever been able to see it before God now, that the arrows shift from us being the primary focus with our finite love to God and his infinite love for us. And that's why in 1 John 4.10 it says this, This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Brothers and sisters, if God so loved us, we ought to... Love one another. Do you see what God's doing? He's taking the riches and resource of heaven and pouring it into us by the Holy Spirit and now releasing it through us to the needy people around us who need his love. Anybody know anybody that needs love on planet Earth? I mean, come on. The new covenant is all about taking the infinite love of God receiving it and now letting it be released to those around us. So, you know what I'd like us just to do in, in just closing these few moments is just to begin to just hold out our hands and begin to receive the love of heaven. Just begin to receive the love of heaven. Just say this welcome and say, Lord, come, fill, fill, fill. In the name of Jesus, just begin to re- just receive Lord, we just welcome the love of heaven poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that even as we've just celebrated Pentecost and the outpouring of the Spirit, Lord, I thank you for releasing the love of heaven right now into our hearts. I just pray, Lord, it'll be like a flood, just into flood. Let it begin to fill, saturate, overflow in the name of Jesus until it becomes a river that flows out of us, Lord, by the Holy Spirit. More, more, more in the name of Jesus. More, your river flowing, filling, literally going into the low places in Jesus' name, Father. We thank you for doing that. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.